A while back, some liberal scholars of the New Testament got together to decide who was Jesus really. They called themselves the Jesus Seminar, and their express purpose for getting together, as I understand they may still be even meeting, though it's been over 20 years, was to answer two questions. What did Jesus really say? And what did Jesus really do? You ready to hear some of their conclusions? Probably not. They said Jesus only said 18% of what the Gospels claim for him. Can you believe that? 82% of what we read in our Gospels, they said Jesus never said. Here are some of their other conclusions. Uh, Jesus' mother was named Mary, but she had a human father who possibly was not named Joseph. They said Jesus was born in Nazareth, not in Bethlehem. He did not walk on the water. He did not feed 5,000. He did not turn the water into wine. Nor did he raise Lazarus from the dead. And they said the empty tomb is a fiction. Jesus was not raised bodily from the dead. And so what are we to make of this? I mean, these are intelligent, well-informed scholars. They study full-time. What are we to make of this? Well, there's a man who teaches uh, preachers down in Georgia. His name is Thomas Long. And this is what he said. He said, people who try to draw out of the four Gospels a biography of Jesus, apart from what the Gospels actually say, are compelled to insert into the process a fifth Gospel, namely their own faith and priorities. Jesus' historians start out gazing into the Gospels, but the written texts quickly turn into mirrors, reflecting the needs, issues, and faces of the scholars themselves. And I think that's exactly right. You see, the reason for the Jesus Seminar is not because we cannot trust the Bible, but it's because we won't accept the real Jesus. That's the reason. The real Jesus is too radical, he's too dangerous, he's too uncomfortable for our preferences. And so we come back to that question, don't we? Who is the real Jesus? Well, there's no better place to find the answer to that question than in the triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday. As Jesus rode on this colt, the foal of a donkey, into Jerusalem at the start of the last week of his life, he revealed himself openly to Israel. Do you know, this was the first time in Jesus' ministry that he allowed a crowd to make a public demonstration over him. The very first time he did that. 
And there's a little principle that we're going to see worked out today. We're moving ahead a little bit in our series in Mark to Mark chapter 11 for Palm Sunday. There's a little principle that we are going to learn together this morning, and uh, let's see how it's worked out in the gospel. It's this principle. We learn who Jesus is by seeing how he came on Palm Sunday. That's the meaning of Palm Sunday. That the way Jesus came is the truth about who he is. This morning I want to bring a message entitled, Who is the Real Jesus? And I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 11. And let's begin by reading verses 1 through 6. Mark chapter 11. And please follow along as I read verses 1 to 6. It's about page 1007 or 8 or so in your chair Bible if you'd like to follow along that way. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the number one thing that we need in our lives is a clear vision of who you really are. Because it is out of that clear vision that we come to know God as he really is. And we come to understand life as it truly is. And we are able to find salvation and eternal life. And so today we thank you for this record written for us by the evangelist Mark of what Jesus did on this day that we celebrate so many years later. Teach us now who you really are, that we might cut through all of the fog of people around us who would say something different about our Lord, that we might know him as he truly is. In his name, amen. First thing Palm Sunday teaches us about Jesus is that he came in authority. And because he came in authority, what this means is, fill in the blank, Jesus is sovereign Lord. Now the background of Palm Sunday is a very important background. Jesus had saved his greatest miracle for his last miracle, the raising of Lazarus. And we know that the news spread like wildfire. So as Jesus began to make his entry into Jerusalem, 
for the last week of his life, the throng that now joined his procession had greatly increased. Do you know Josephus, the Jewish historian, estimated that about two to three million Jews would pack Jerusalem for Passover. Passover was coming just a few days at the end of the week. And the people knew that Jesus was at odds with the religious leaders. And so this question was in their minds. Would Jesus make a move? Would the religious authorities act? The situation was very much like a powder keg waiting to go off. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus lit the match and deliberately threw it in. You see, up until now, he had wanted everything about his true identity kept secret. The Bible over and over again says uh, his time was not at hand, but now he was ready. And Jesus deliberately forced the leaders and the people to face his claims. It was time to decide. By the way, it is time for you and me to decide as well. If there's one thing that we can never be with Jesus, it is neutral. We have to decide. And so we are in the crowd that day with uh, those that are thronging Jesus, and he is forcing us to decide who he truly is. Now what I find is amazing in these opening verses is that Jesus displayed his sovereign lordship in two very striking ways. Number one, he predicted all the details, and that's why we have six verses here of the opening of Palm Sunday. Um, if we were to put a map here on the screen, this is what we can see took place that Palm Sunday morning. Uh, Jesus and his disciples traveled from Jericho down to the Mount of Olives. At the Mount of Olives, Jesus sends two of his disciples to two little towns surrounding uh, Jerusalem, Bethphage and Bethany. He says, there you will find a colt, start to untie it. The owners of the colt will object to what you are doing, and then give them this answer, the Lord has need of it. When you give them the answer, the owners will let you go. How much occurred exactly the way Jesus said it would occur? Everything. Now clearly this was not prearranged, was it? The owner obviously knew of Jesus, and so he knew who they were talking about. But Jesus had not been in Jerusalem for a year. So this was not pre-arranged. Do you know the more details you give in a prediction, the harder it is to predict? What we are discovering here is this. Jesus displayed his supernatural knowledge. He predicted all the precise details. It happened exactly as he said it would. Who's the only one who can do that? God. God. Jesus was displaying his sovereign lordship. But there's something else here. 
Jesus also shows us his sovereign lordship because he directed all of the responses. Did you notice he said to his disciples in verse 2, go, and in verse 4, they went. In verse 2, he said, you will find a colt, and in verse 4, they found a colt. In verse 2, he said, untie that colt, and in verse 4, they untied it. And he said, when there's an objection, verse 3, this is what you are to say. And in verse 6, when the objection happened, they told them exactly what Jesus had said. Everything goes exactly as Jesus said, because everyone submits to Jesus' authority. Uh, The key phrase in this entire opening is found in verse 3, where Jesus says, tell them, the Lord has need of it. Do you know this is the first time in Mark's gospel that Jesus calls himself Lord to the disciples? Imagine that. We've gone for ten chapters, and never once has Jesus called himself Lord to the disciples. Now this is the first time. And dear friends, everything in that title Lord is included. It means he is deity. He is Lord of glory. He is sovereign over all. And because that is true, what is the proper response? Well, the disciples submit. The owner of the colt, he submits. By the way, did you notice, as we will see in just a moment, Even the cult itself submits to Jesus' sovereign authority. May I ask you a question? Do unbroken cults that have never been ridden remain calm in a frenzied crowd? I like this phrase down here this morning, not typically, not typically. Absolutely. This young, unbroken, unridden animal should have been frightened like a cat and out of control. And why is it not? Because Jesus is Lord, right? Jesus is Lord even over the animals. I remember when I first came to grips with Jesus' Lordship. I was a teenager, perhaps 14, 15 years of age. And when I came to realize that Jesus was Lord, you know what I knew I had to do? I had to give him his rightful place in my life. I knew that. You see, if the disciples submit, and the owner submitted, and the cult submitted, 
I had to submit to. And as a teenager of about 14 or 15, my life has never been the same since I began to realize Jesus is Lord. Let me say to you this morning, the purpose of Palm Sunday and the retelling of it today is so that you will come to grips with the truth of the fact that Jesus is Lord. And if you come to grips with that, you will never be the same because you will have to say, if he is Lord, then he deserves his rightful place in my life. See, he came in authority to demonstrate his sovereign lordship. Let's continue with the story, shall we? Secondly, Jesus came in humility, and here we learn that he is saving Messiah. Look at verse 7, and notice what the Bible says. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Now, why did Jesus choose this colt? Well, the reason he did is because Zechariah 9.9 said it had to be this way. Uh, Read with me this prophecy at the end of the Old Testament, uh, the second to the last book of the Bible, Zechariah 9.9, and notice what the prophet said, and Jesus knew this is the way it had to be. Let's read it together. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. You see, Jesus was fulfilling Scripture. He was revealing himself to the nation. It's interesting that if you go back in Old Testament history, during David's reign, a donkey was considered a kingly animal that was used in royal processions. And so what Jesus was doing was he was identifying himself as the heir to David's royal line, and the people saw this, and they gave him homage. When they threw down their cloaks in front of him, that's what the people had done in the Old Testament when Jehu became king over Israel, 2 Kings 9.13. And when they took these leafy branches and, and spread them in the way, at the end of the book of Maccabees, as Simon Maccabeus recaptured Jerusalem, the people did the same thing as the victor and the conqueror came into Jerusalem. Now, you know, it was true by Jesus' day. A stallion was symbolic of victorious warrior. So a donkey would have been considered beneath the dignity of kings. By the way, that's what explains why the Romans did not sweep down and arrest Jesus, who was stirring up a riot. 
Because he came on a simple, lowly donkey offering peace, not war. You know what this is? This is the heart of the gospel. That's what this is. That this king, righteous and victorious, came riding in humbly on a colt who was considered beneath the dignity of kings is the heart of the gospel. In his first coming, Jesus came in mercy. He came to offer peace between us and the God who has been offended by our sins. Rather than conquer, the real Jesus came first to suffer. Rather than take control, the real Jesus first came to give up control and to willingly be crucified. You know what that lowly cult says? God loves you. God loves you and he offers you terms of peace that you might become his friend. This is the very heart of the good news. Now it's interesting as we continue it becomes very clear. The crowd here misunderstands Jesus' intentions. Notice what they began to shout, verse 9 and 10. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. You know that Passover commemorated the deliverance of the Jews from slavery in Egypt. And as they approached Jerusalem every year at Passover, hopes of another deliverance would fill their minds. Uh, They would sing the Hillel Psalms, the praise psalms, Psalms 113 to 118, that were sung in praise and thanks and petition to God. Do you know Psalm 118 especially spoke of God triumphing over the nations and delivering his people Israel. And as they would approach Jerusalem thinking of the past deliverance, these pilgrims would sing Psalm 118 enthusiastically, almost as though we were at a football game singing together the star-spangled banner. And when Psalm 118 spoke of he who comes in the name of the Lord, initially that was sung to all of the uh, pilgrims who were coming into Jerusalem. They would sing to them, welcome he who comes in the name of the Lord. But eventually he who comes referred to the Messiah who would come in authority as deliverer. 
And so because Psalm 118 typified the Messiah and what he would do, they applied it to Jesus. Putting it all together, look what we learn in verse 9 and 10. Hosanna means, oh, save us now. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord is referring to the messianic king who comes with God's authority. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David means restore the kingdom and release us from our problems. And Hosanna in the highest means, oh, save us now, God, who lives in the highest heavens. Isn't it clear? The people misunderstood Jesus' intentions. They praise and welcome him as the conquering Messiah, not as the suffering one. They totally, completely missed the meaning of the cult. That in his first coming, he would come as Savior. In his second coming, he would come as King. By the way, this helps explain why on Good Friday, they turned against him so quickly. He had disappointed their hopes. Think about that for a moment. We live in that kind of a world, don't we? We live with so many, many disappointments. And sometimes we come to a a service like this, or we come to a church like this, and we're looking for answers. And we think if Jesus is who he really is, then he can fix all the problems that are in my life. And sometimes we think that he will use his mighty, mighty power and he'll make everything all right in my life. Sometimes he does that. But not always, right? In fact, that's what heaven is for. It is not until we are in heaven that the Bible says he will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. That's what heaven is for. But the reason Jesus came now is to be our Savior, to reconcile us with God, and to give us peace with heaven. That's why he came. And if you're here today and things are are not going well in your life and there are problems that you would like to have fixed, what I want you to know is that this sovereign Lord who has all authority has a greater purpose in your life. His greater purpose is to be your Savior, to reconcile you with the God whom your sins have offended, and to give you peace with heaven. That's why he came. 
One of the great songwriters of our day. Some thought he was perhaps the greatest songwriter of his generation. It was a man named Rich Mullins. And he gave us one of our most well-loved praise songs. We love to sing this. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. With wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. You know what happened to Rich Mullins? He was in a horrendous car accident and was killed instantly. He was 42 years old. And you look at that and you see a man who's totally sold out to the Lord, gifted, talented. And what's the question that comes to your mind? What happened to your awesome God? Where was he? And Rich Mullins had something very interesting to say long before he knew the fate that would meet him. Look what he said. If I will experience joy in this life, it will be when I let other people know that there is a God who loves them and he has taken away the sin that separates them There is no greater proclamation. Rich Mullins knew why Jesus came. You see, if we don't have a Savior and a Lord, we have nothing lasting. But if we have a Savior and a Lord, then we have a permanent joy that outlasts everything. Look what else Rich Mullins had to say. Never forget what Jesus did for you. Never take lightly what it cost him. And never assume that if it cost him his very life, it won't also cost you yours. But when we embrace the cost and give our life away to Jesus, what Jesus said is you have saved it for eternity. We may lose in this world But we have gained God, real life, heaven, and eternity. You see, when we embrace the cost and give our life away to Jesus, we save it for eternity. We may lose in this world at 42 years of age. But we gain God, real life, heaven, and eternity. And that's why 
Jesus came. There's one final thing we learn about Jesus. In the final verse of this story, we learn that he came with scrutiny. And Jesus is condemning judge. Look at verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. One more action Jesus took on Palm Sunday. He went into the temple and he looked around at everything. It's interesting, this expression, looked around, means to survey and observe everything. And dear friends, this morning, this was not the look of a tourist. Jesus was not surveying like a tourist would. You see, the temple was the heart of Jewish religion. And as Jesus looked around and and saw all the money tables, and he saw all the merchandisers, and he saw all of the animals that were corrupting the temple, he was examining the spiritual heart of the nation. And you know what he knew? He knew the leaders had rejected him, and he knew the thronging crowds had a superficial attachment to him. And the next day, in anger, righteous indignation, he would make a whip, as he had done at the beginning of his ministry, because nothing had changed. And he turned over the tables of the money changers, and he drove out the merchandisers. And he said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he knew they would reject him. And ultimately, he would judge them. And Jesus looks at our hearts today as well. He knows each one of us individually through and through. And he knows this very moment where we stand with him. Many years ago, an unknown poet wrote very famous words on a cathedral in Germany. Maybe you have seen these words, maybe you have not. But on Palm Sunday, as we consider Jesus coming with scrutiny, because he is the condemning judge. It is well that we read these words again. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and seek me not. You call me way and walk me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. 
You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me noble and serve me not. You call me mighty and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, Blame me not. And the message in Palm Sunday is that there are only two options. Jesus is either sovereign Lord and saving Messiah, or Jesus is condemning judge. There are no other options. And so this morning, Jesus calls us to make the choice over who he really is. Let's bow our hearts together for a moment. And close our eyes. I don't know where you stand with Jesus today, but I know that He knows. He knows you through and through. And just as he looked around and saw religious leaders who had rejected him, a superficial crowd who misunderstood him, so he knows you as well. And you really cannot be neutral. Once you understand that He is Sovereign Lord and Saving Messiah, you must accept Him, or He will be your condemning judge. And I do not believe that you are here today by accident. I believe God in His graciousness and His love has drawn you to this place that you might hear the true message of Palm Sunday. And Jesus, in humility and love, is offering you peace with God. He is offering terms of peace. That your many sins which have offended God and prohibit you from knowing God have been dealt with, paid for. And Jesus, who one day will come as king, today wants to be your savior. 
You can turn to him right now, wherever you're seated. And you can express something like this to him in faith and trust. Lord Jesus, I am like those leaders who have rejected you. Or I am like the crowd who has misunderstood you. And I recognize my sins and my failings. But I believe who you are, Jesus, you can say. You are the sovereign Lord. No one could do the things that you did unless he were God. And I believe that you came into this world that you might die for my sins and rise again that I might have life and peace with God. And Lord Jesus, this day I'm turning from my own way. I'm repenting. And I'm turning to you. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Give me life anew. And make me a child of God. And now, Lord Jesus, I give you your rightful place. I follow you and submit to you. God helping me the rest of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Spirit of God, Do today only what you can do. Open blind eyes. Melt hearts of stone. Create faith where there has been unbelief. And bring people into the glorious relationship with Jesus Christ, who loved them and gave himself for them. And may this Palm Sunday be the beginning of a new life, walking with Jesus, embracing the cross, knowing that what may befall us in this life as we follow him We have peace in our hearts, a conscience that is clean from guilt, a purpose in living, and a joy in spreading the greatest proclamation 
that anyone could ever hear. We love you, Lord, this morning. And praise your wonderful work. For Jesus' sake.